Today's reading is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 11. It can be found on page 1060 of the Bible's Next to Your Seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's Word. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led away to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one it is the same God at work. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The Word of the Lord. I invite you to join me in a word of prayer as we begin. Our gracious God, as we come into this room from different places, a lot of us don't know each other. Maybe there's some familiarity, or maybe everyone's brand new to us this morning. We come from such, such different places. I think we'd be surprised if we knew the stories and the journeys of everyone here. Some of us come in uh, with great confidence, and it even surprises us that we have great confidence in you and in our connection to you, because we hadn't had that for a long, long time. Some of us come in, on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, We come with mostly doubts, mostly questions, mostly skepticism, and we're, in a sense, any potential for belief is being led by that. And we're hoping that somehow some of those barriers crumble a little bit and that you become a warranted part of our life. You make sense to us amidst our questions. Others of us just come, we can't get away from the pain and the woundedness and the struggle that we face. And it brings us here hoping that you would somehow meet us and show yourself to be able to heal the wounds, maybe? We hope that, but we don't know, maybe, as we sit here. And as we all come from different places, really, the truth is we're all in the same boat. We're all more of a mess than we care to admit. We're all more broken than we want other people to know, and, and then this is the surprise, that your response to that is to move towards us with renewing, restoring, loving grace. And even knowing how much of a mess we are. And so I ask that in this time you speak. You speak through your loving, lavish grace so that we might know you better and our lives might be changed. Amen. Have you ever had one of those surprises that is just really well-timed and perfect for you and your situation? It's like a lavish gift that is a, a total surprise, out of the blue, something that comes into your life and you just say... That is so cool. I did not expect that, did not ask for that. Um, I don't know if you ever had anything like that. I had an experience like that. Um, it was actually last summer 
And, you know, we moved here, my wife and I, from Michigan, where we have family, my wife's family and a lot of friends, and we had lived there for about the most of four years before moving here. So about seven and a half years ago, we moved here. And, and you know, we end up loading up the family, the growing family, into airplanes and going across the country. And then you kind of hear the cha-ching, cha-ching every time you do that, right? But to you go and see all these loved ones, we do that. And, you know, at first it's just two plane tickets, then it's three, and now it's four, and we're about to break into five plane tickets whenever we do that. It's kind of expensive. So last summer, I thought I was smart, and I, um, I booked, or I, I applied for a little mini conference and part of the deal was that my, my travel to the conference would be paid for, and I got in. And so we kind of combined that with time in Michigan. And long story short, the, the check, the reimbursement check comes in the mail after we get back. And I look at this check, and, and I just, my eyes kind of go wide, and I say, this is, you know, they made a mistake. I didn't even allow my mind to consider that when I saw the, the, the full amount for all of our family's travel, <laughs> right, to Michigan, I said, oh my, God, you know, I didn't even allow myself to think that's, that's really what they meant to do, so I kind of just said, okay, I'll void this and whatnot. Well, it turns out that whoever was funding this mini-conference, I didn't even know this, it wasn't, it wasn't told to me, but I had just happened to attach the document of all our, all our purchases, you know, and, and, and said, mine was this amount, but here's the receipt. And well, it turns out that the intention of the donor behind this program was that, you know, if the whole family needs to come out, pay for the whole family. I was like, I was amazed. I couldn't believe it. I just kind of sat back and said, now there is some vindication, you know, for these seven years of flying back and forth. We got our whole thing paid for. It was great. It was a little bit like, um, like Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. You know, at the end of the movie, I don't, you know, spoiler alert here. Sorry if you haven't seen it yet. It's an old movie though. And, you know, Willy Wonka, it turns out he's not just giving out golden tickets for tours of the factory, the candy factory, but also he's, he's looking to select someone who he's actually going to not just give a tour, but give the whole factory to. And if Charlie just returns that everlasting gobstopper, then it's going to go to him. I mean, it's, am- it's amazing. That surprise, out of the blue, lavish distribution of a gift. And when you look at 1 Corinthians 12, that's, that's a great picture to have because what's going on here we a lot of times when we look in church settings we look at places where spiritual gifts are listed we can't help but get in and say okay well i'm going to try to find the five things in here that that it's saying i need to do to get more of this or to work these a little better or to use these faithfully or something it's always kind of about um kind of achieving them and getting them and that's not at all what's happening in this passage in fact, it's much more about how to think about how God makes himself known in church and in churches. That's really what's going on here in 1 Corinthians 12. And the picture is not that different from like the Willy Wonka of somebody who mysteriously, at his desire, is pulling the strings and, and distributing gifts as he sees fit. I don't know if you notice the word in verse 4 and in verse 11, distributes. It's talking about God distributing. God's like the, the great distributor in this passage and it's a lot different. It, it's not not that different from my surprise about getting the airlines all pay, airline tickets all paid for, but it's a little bit different in that um, that donor didn't want to be known. It was an anonymous, mysterious person that I couldn't thank, but God's design in here, it's very clear, is that by the end of it, people are saying, ah, I see these things happening in church in a community of God's people and I see God I see you know in verse 3 Jesus is Lord 
is what is what the Holy Spirit leads people to say. And the more that there's this God activity that God is determining and distributing. So you have these two things kind of working together. And, it, and I also like to tie it to the two chapters later where Paul talks about spiritual gifts in the context of worship. And he ends by talking about how the, one of the cool parts about this is that there might be someone who's inquiring and kind of in process and in journeying with the faith. And he, calls, calls, he says that that person might be sitting there and they might end up seeing what's happening and say, um, in verse 25 of chapter 14, they'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. I like that phrase and also where Paul says in verse 3 of what we read, Jesus is Lord. Two things that the Holy Spirit leads people to say by this distributing God, making things happen in Christian community. I don't know if you tend to think that way. A lot of us, you know, we might say, hey, we're talking, you're talking about church. Who brought God into this? I mean, in, in, in many ways, we're so focused on the human that we almost forget that that's, that's what it's all about. Um, let's just take a minute and imagine the context that, that Corinth, this early church, was in as they were getting this letter and as they were experiencing people seeing that God is among you and saying Jesus is Lord, what was the context that they were saying that within? Well, it was a very unlikely thing that, that would produce that result of people saying God is among you because they had an unlikely leader. Think about it. Throughout all these places the Apostle Paul was going and spreading this message, imagine people telling their friends or family about the Christian church that they were now starting to be a part of. What, what's that group all about, that thing that you go to meetings about? Well, it's about Jesus. Well, who's Jesus? Well, he's the leader that our, that our whole thing is around. Well, well what did he do? We died. Oh, oh, really? He died? Yeah, and it was really amazing. <laughs> he, he died. And, and you can see the person just kind of going, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. And, and, but then maybe saying, well, no, 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 don't worry. He rose from the dead. And the person going, oh, yeah, sure. Sure he did. Yeah. Next thing you're going to tell me, he disappeared into the clouds. Yeah, how'd you know? Um, I mean, just, just kind of the oddity. This unlikely leader that a movement is forming around, a guy who's not even there, we don't even have his body or his grave, and yet this is the person that this movement goes around, and, and you're going to have people saying, Jesus is Lord? Just kind of in place of the way people would say, Caesar is Lord? Come on. Um, they were an unlikely group. They were a group of have-nots. Largely, the church was people who just didn't have means. In fact, Paul... Um, had to find at least one wealthy person wherever he goes, so that wherever he went, so the church would have a place to meet. So this New Testament professor of mine from seminary, his name is Dr. Jeffrey Weimar, is uh, an expert on Paul and on the early church. This is how he says it: Everywhere Paul goes, he has to find someone rich. In those days, there wasn't really a middle class. The majority of people were poor. And it was only the rich people who have a house. And because Christianity is not a recognized uh, religion, the early Christians never met in a church, as we think of. They always meet in someone's home. And not many people had a home. So everywhere Paul goes, there's a wealthy person that he connects with, and then they allow their homes to be used by the church. If you look closely, you can see this playing out. When Paul goes to Philippi, there's Lydia. When he goes to Thessalonica, there's Jason. When he goes to Colossae, there's um, Philemon. And so you just picture this group of have-nots, powerless people, and there's going to be this growing movement in the cities throughout the Roman Empire. And people saying, Jesus is Lord. And then just another unlikely part of it is the unlikely belief 
that this Jesus was God's son and that through his death there actually is a way that you, all of us, are brought back together in a satisfying way with God, reconciled, forgiven in some way. And there's personal transformation that this message about that Jesus leads you on. And it's even a part of the whole, believe it or not, as the story goes, the whole cosmos being remade, a new creation. And all of this is so unlikely that this would catch on and people would be saying, yeah, God is among them. How did it happen? It really, if you think about it, it's a miracle that the church began to get any traction at all, that it began to grow in any cities at all. It had everything stacked against it except, except the God who distributes work and power and activity in people and in communities. And you see, when you look at verse 8 through 10, some of the things Paul describes that are happening in this community and many others, this Holy Spirit activity that people are saying, that's a God thing. And it's almost kind of, if you've been in church for a while, while, it's almost envious. Corinth was a a real kind of high-achieving, flashy gifts kind of place. So this is the kind of stuff that was happening. He says, To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, and to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another... Uh, speaking in different kinds of tongues and to still another interpretation of tongues. And right there you have a sample of how the most unlikely thing in the world happened is that people began walking into groups of Christians meeting the most unlikely group of people with the most unlikely leader with the most unlikely message and people walking out going, God was there. Jesus is Lord. Now, you know, why do, we, why do we often, if that's the focus, why do we often miss it? I mean, personally, I, if, I don't experience, if, I don't see, if I don't see examples of God at work, even here at, at City Life, if I don't see examples of that happening in people's lives, um, I, don't, I don't last very long. I run, I'd run out of steam real quick if I wasn't seeing a lot of examples of this happening. But sometimes, as, as much as starting City Life Church over the last, like, four years has been the, the hardest thing I've done in my life. And, you know, some days I, I remember early on I'd want to hop in the car and just drive to the mountains, but not to go camping, just to keep driving. Just go get to the mountains and keep going through them and go on wherever. It didn't matter where. That's some, you know, with all of that, there are weeks and months maybe where... I, I encounter so much and I get to a glimpse of so much of what God is doing in a lot of your lives that I say, give me another 10 years of this. This is, amazing. This is incredible. It's the, it's the vibrancy, the excitement that keeps me going. When I see someone saying, you know what? Um, I want to, for the first time in this dating relationship, I want this time to be different and I want to go about this in a way that I'm acting like a child of God and that I'm treating this other person like a daughter or a son of God. And I want it to be like my, I'm letting following God make its way into my dating relationship. I just, I see God at work. And I see God at work when someone says for the first time, Mark, I'm feeling led by God to let God not just direct me in some way, in some maybe kind of superficial ways, but I'm going to let him even into my wallet, into my, you know, the way I handle finances. I'm going to try to see what does it look like to, 
trust God amidst the stuff I'm clinging to and letting go a little bit, releasing. And I, I say that it's like a miracle to see these kinds of things. To see um, someone finally believing, saying, I'm finally able to believe a little bit, even though I've been going to church maybe all my life, I'm finally believing a little bit that, that God the Father actually loves me. After a lifetime of of what blocked that and what got in the way of that is experiencing abuse from my earthly father. And I just look at, I just hear that and I just see God working. And I don't always get to share those stories because they're not mine to share. And it kind of goes both ways because many of you are in community pods and you see some stories up close that I don't ever get to know because, you know, that's a confidential kind of space. There's these things happening. For me, they keep me going. And I wonder, why is it that we so quickly stop thinking about church as the place where God is active. I mean, I find myself, uh, it's almost frightening. The number of times I've described our church to someone, because I'm doing it, having to do it all the time, tell people, what is city life? What is city life? And the number of times I'll walk away from that and go, I don't think I said anything about God in there once. <laughs> you know? Why is it that church people, no, God people, have such a hard time seeing what this is all about as being where God is at work, God is active. What gets us out of that focus? Why do I find myself talking about just, you know, the mission statement or the, the music or the everything else, but not just saying, you know, just imagine yourself talking about this church and just, you can't even help it. All you do is talk about what God is doing. He's the main subject as you describe City Life Church. What gets in the way of that? Well, I think that every time, every chance we get at every turn, we want to fixate on the human level rather than what God is doing. We want to you know, the Church of Corinth was doing this big time. If you read this letter at all, you see all these things they were doing. One of the things, especially with spiritual gifts, they, they had such flashy gifts that they were starting to say, well, those are the great ones, and so those people have really arrived, and we should all try to get where they are. And suddenly there's this kind of comparison thing going on, and who's the best? And another thing that was going on was they had, after Paul had come and another teacher, Apollos, had come, and then they had both left. Now the church was kind of left on their own, and, and they had developed these, these harsh factions where one, of, one group was saying, no, Apollos is the real deal, and the other was saying, no, Paul is flashier in his leadership. And so they were, I mean, they were just really divided and messed up with this stuff. There was one person in the church taking the other person to, to the law courts rather than settling their dispute internally. Um, they were having communion, and the way they would do communion was like as a meal, and what would happen was um, the people who were probably more in the, the haves category or the important people would be there early and they would start the, the meal, start the feast, and they would sometimes get drunk on the wine and finish all the food before the other people even all got there. And it was a harsh kind of snubbing situation because the people who came there late were clearly sort of more the have-nots. And so not only were they not getting participate in the communal worship of the Lord's Supper, but they were also just not getting dinner. <laughs> it was like, yeah, forget you, we don't care. And this is all, all these things are happening on the human level. I think it's just universal that amidst the idea of what is God doing in our church that focus kind of gets blurred and everywhere. I mean, you could walk into City Life, and, I, and you can just imagine, you walk in, you look, well, there's, there's the people doing the music, there's the person I see up front talking, there's the liturgist kind of leading us through the service, there's the people doing prayer up front, you know. Those are the people, those are the more important gifts, those are the things that really keep it going. And um, 
And then it turns out, you know, what you're missing if you kind of land your plane at that spot is you're missing kind of flying over the whole community and seeing. If you spend a little time and if you open your eyes, you see all these things that are really, to me, are miracles. There are many miracles. Some of them are small. Some of them are big that are happening all the time that show God is at work. God is here in so many more ways than maybe what you see up front. You know, when you have a, a leader of a community pod who's completely unfazed by letting someone into their bathroom on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, you know, in the middle of a busy week, maybe not time to get around to cleaning it all up, letting someone into your home to see the real you, to see the rhythms of your life, to know you at that kind of deep level, to commit to something that's regular, that you're the one who has to show up because it's in your space. <laughs> maybe that's a, that's, a, that's a little miracle right there. That God has done that in someone's life. Um, to see someone who's unfazed to give some of their time to do something for the church or the church's mission, whether it be you know, showing up and wearing a, sur- a shirt on Second Saturday, whether it means a graphic designer putting in all this time to create something amazing to help us get an event, uh, a poster out for an event, whatever. It, th- that, to me, is an incredible gift from God. Um, to, to know that there's people who are unfazed by the chaos and noise and self-centeredness of little children and will be glad, gladly with joy go up to those rooms and just be excited. And I, I know that they are up there. They're just excited to teach kids about this loving God. It just amazes me. I have three kids of my own and I kind of say, extra time with them? No, thank you. you know, just give me a break. It's, I've had a lot the last, you know, nine years. It's a miracle. Some of you are like, that guy's a jerk. It's being real here. Um, you know, like the idea that someone would spend their Saturday night getting dough ready for the communion bread and then getting up early and baking it and then bringing it down here. The idea that someone would get up even earlier on a Sunday morning. I mean, early for church, that's enough just to get up to come to church. But get up earlier and then set the coffee and bring kind of the treats and everything else. To me, that's a miracle. And there's things happening midweek. Some of you have the gift of listening. And in your life, God, in a sense, is, has flipped on that switch, that light switch, where people see you as someone to, who they can just open up to and you give that as a gift wherever you go. And other people are like, no, thank you. And there's people who are unfazed by the awkwardness of greeting a new person that's coming into church. I mean, how scary is it to come to church? How potentially awkward is the social interaction? Some people just dive right into that, and they just do it winsomely. Others of you, you can, you can invite friends of yours, even new acquaintances, to a church thing or even to a church service in a way that I could never do. You can do it just so winsomely that the person would just gladly come along. It doesn't feel weird at all. Or they can just easily say no and you just kind of drop it in in the most natural way. I've been around people who do that and I just think, I could never do that. It always just feels so forced and awkward and maybe there's some perceived religious agenda behind it. That's how God is. He just sprinkles, he distributes, he lavishly pours out these kind of gifts and they're all very different. And none of that, you just look at them all and you say... Is here. Jesus is here. Well, what do you do with all this? If this is true, if this is really what God is doing here, if this is what God does in churches, let me just suggest two very practical things I think that flow very naturally out of this passage. The first is to yield, yield your life to the great distributor. And the second is to live with great expectancy for God's next great work. And just re- these are just real brief. Yield to the great distributor. You know, on 
you can imagine kids watching PBS some morning and right in between um, Sesame Street and Sid the Science Kid there's a little community service announcement that lasts two minutes of the guy playing guitar and finishing by saying you can be whatever you want to be you know and most parents smile and say I'm really glad that my child has that message you know set your heights high don't don't let things get in the way of imagining what you could do but come on let's let's I mean I don't mean to be mean again but let's just be a little bit honest somebody at some point has to tell little Susie that she's tone deaf and that you know maybe becoming a singer-songwriter isn't in the cards you know that maybe there's something else I'm just being a little bit facetious to say that you know to some degree we can't all just be everything right to some degree there's a sense that at some point you have to um, you have to find what is the switch in my life, as God looks out and he's distributing these, he's flipping light switches on, it seems like. What is the one for, what is mine? And am I following that? Am I yielding to the great distributor? Or am I maybe, it's really easy to do, to get caught up in some idea of what I should be, to imagine that what I am is not anything worthwhile because there's these other things over here. And just to know with confidence that whatever God has kind of flipped on, whatever switch it is for you, that's, that's where someone's going to say, God is here, Jesus is Lord, because of that. Um, and then the other thing, the other practical thing, live life with great expectancy for God's next great work. I think that inevitably, you look at 1 Corinthians 12, and you can't, you can't uh, look at that without ending up in a place of just saying, you know what, I think the point is, God has a plan for using me. I'm just saying, you are a part of God's plan. And he's going to be, just like he was in surprising, unsuspecting way, um, distributing and kind of lighting things up over here and making things happen in the early church, um, he's going to be doing the same thing here. And there's a sense in which if you live with expectancy for God's next great work, that you'll, you'll be in that. You'll be a part of the next great kind of way that God lights up this church and there's a sense in which if you're maybe more in the inward focus and more in the, um, um, the sort of just kind of check things out very privately and it's all about me and my problems there's a totally a place for that but if that's all it is and you don't break out and kind of look around you might be missing just seeing and being a part of God lighting up this church I think that um it's analogous to like a, a Christmas tree and each one of us are, is some kind of ornament or light and God's going to, I know, he's going to keep lighting this church up in a way that's beautiful and some of you are the lights that are connected to the electrical outlet when the switch gets turned on and it seems like, oh, those are flashy and bright and some of them are blinky. Uh, maybe you're a blinky person, I don't know. But then there's others of us who say, oh man, you know, I'm just this thing in the dark over here. But then when the, the light goes on, then suddenly your a beauty and complexity and the amazingness of what you have lights up. And someone walking by the street just looks and says, look at that, not that ornament, but look at that tree. Look at that amazing bright new tree. It must be Christmas time. And in the same way, that's what's happening here. And that's what God's going to do at City Life Church over and over again. Are you living with expectancy of that? That people are going to walk in and say, God is here. Look at what's happening. I think living with expectancy means a few things. It means how it, it changes everything. It changes how you approach worship. Coming with a sense of 
um, something's going to happen. God's going to meet me here. What do you do differently, perhaps, on a Sunday morning if you come with that kind of attitude and that approach? I don't know, maybe you do something at home or maybe you utilize the prayer room up in the lobby. Maybe you take that little bit of a risk and come forward to get some prayer after the service. You know, that the prayer servants are up here and it's not just for one kind of person. It's for everyone at any point just to come and connect a little more with how God is here and Jesus is Lord. And maybe it affects how you decide to enter into a community pod and just see a little more how God is present in other people's lives. There's a sense in which as soon as you begin to step into a group of people and live a little more closely with them, that you begin to see what God is doing with them. And it turns out, I love my community pod. Every other week on Mondays we meet. It's a guys group. And I love it because I just see what God is doing in other people's lives. And nobody expects, really, as they come down and sit and start saying what's happening in their life, that that's what hap- what's happening. But someone says something, and I'm just, I'm just so encouraged and excited, or encouraged that we can support and pray for this person. And then I might say something about how life's going, and I think it's totally obvious, or like just a neutral thing to say, and other people are going, wow, that, you know, I needed to hear that. It's just this interplay, this reverberation where we're saying together what Paul is saying in this letter to the Corinthians. God is here. God is among you. Jesus is the Lord. And most of all, let me just close with this. At the beginning of this series of the Holy Spirit, I sent out an email and had a prayer in it, a Holy Spirit prayer. And every time I've talked about the Holy Spirit so far in this series, I think I've ended with just the suggestion that pray more. (laughs) Basically, the only way to reflect about the Spirit and to really bring it to a close is to just talk about being more in prayer and asking God to distribute gifts, to arrive, to work more, and to, to express to God our openness for the Spirit. So let me just lead you again in this, this original prayer that I sent out in the series. Let us pray. Great Lord who governs this world, we thank you for sending your Son to bring us home to your love. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. Pour out your Holy Spirit on our dry and empty hearts and fill us to overflowing with your grace for the world around us, spilling into lives of our friends and family who don't yet know your grace. Fill this church with your Holy Spirit so that we overflow with grace for our city and so that many more of your children are brought home to your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.